0: Hey y'all, welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I'm Darren, I'm your host. And today we have a special guest, Mr. Lloyd Capuccio. He has the Kosher Dosher blog and also his uh, Facebook page. Does a lot of sous vide. He's been doing his blog for a number of years now. Does a lot of food experiments. So help me welcome Mr. Lloyd Capuccio from the Kosher Dosher blog. I'll be right back.
1: Smoking. Grilling. from
0: fire and water Well, welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I'm Darren, I'm your host. And today we have Lloyd, Lloyd uh, from the Kosher Dosher. Lloyd, I forgot to ask you how you pronounce your last name. Oh,
1: that's an interesting uh, story. So, if you look at the spelling, it sounds like Capicia. It was actually pronounced Capicio. It's Italian. The A is pronounced with an O, and I wish I could tell you why, but I can't. But uh, Darren, thanks so much for having me on your show. I, I really appreciate this.
0: Well, thanks for coming on. I've uh, followed your blog for a long time now, and um, you do a lot of things that um, I don't know if I had to have the patience to do. You do a lot of experimenting with uh, sous vide and other things not just sous vide but sous vide is a big part of it but um let's talk about how did you get started and what what got you started in it in the first place
1: well uh just give a little background on me i was uh, born and raised in brooklyn new york okay um a lot of people refer to me as the big new york jew because i'm a power lifter um new york city is the melting pot of everything food Okay. And I got first interested in food because of family, you know, family cook and I, I was born in the sixties. So we didn't hit restaurants very often and mom and dad cooked, grandparents cooked and, and stuff. And, and um, and then I went to the movie, you know, and I left home and I was 18 years old and, and, uh, um, started eating out and realized this food sucks. Excuse me. This it just, it just is lousy. So I really threw myself into food and stuff like that and, um, up to sous vide cooking. Um, it was interesting. In 2000, and I think it was 2006, I was watching uh, Iron Chef uh, America, and Mary Batali's uh, um, uh, opponent uh, used a sous vide, you know, to cook food. I'm like, what the hell is that? I'm looking at it, and he threw a plastic bag with food in, a, in, in, in this, uh, uh, this plastic bag box, with, as we know, is a polycarbonate container today, but I think they use actually a, a polyscience professional unit, and I'm like, uh, what is that? And, and um, I think they mentioned the word sous vide uh, once or twice, I think it was Alton Brown. So I started Googling, so this is 2006, what is sous vide? And back then, there wasn't much written about it. And so I started Googling, 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 found it very interesting, played around with a PID controller, um, rice cooker, crock pot, uh, even a cooler, adding this warm water to it, trying to keep the temperature. Uh, and then uh, it was really cool. Douglas Baldwin wrote his famous, now famous website on sous vide, how to sous vide food. And it was that was like the, uh, that was everything to me. I, I read that three or four times and I bought my first unit from PolyScience uh, chef series um, that was my first uh, IC immersion circulator and from there I just started going forward just and I loved it ever since
0: so you're a power lifter you've been how long have you been yeah. doing that
1: uh, I've been lifting weight since I'm 17. I'll be 55 in January. I've competed in uh, got a multitude of contests. Um, at one time, I held the uh, United States uh, powerlifting record for uh, uh, bench press for age and weight. Held uh, two American records for that. Um, if you if you go on YouTube, you type in a uh, big NY Jew. I'm everywhere. <laughs> uh, I got videos and stuff like that and. And um, I've always been known as the big New York Jew, because I'm a big guy, you know. Uh, so when, like did, when, did you,
0: uh, when did you stop competing in that?
1: I had an injury. I was, uh, I was, uh, I was let's see, I, was, I just set the American record for uh, 501.5 pounds bench press. And also, by the way, I just want to mention to your, to your, your audience, I was drug tested, because I competed in a drug-tested federation, USAPL keep everything clean um anyway um so about a year year and a half later i was lifting on the bench my buddies had three spotters i was doing four and a quarter and which for me was not much i could do that seven or eight times and i was about a three or four inches into the rep and my right pec started to tear and the weight started falling on me and as it was falling on me the tendon stretched out broke the tendon broke the bone you know, long story short, had major surgery. Uh, two years later, uh, I was back lifting, of course, and, and I've had some cerebral injuries since then. And uh, I'm still bearing, I'm still huge. Uh, I just can't lift as much. So the most I can bench now is probably 350, 365, which is still a lot for a guy who's almost 55, but it's not benching 535 like I used to. So I still lift, but I don't compete no more.
0: Yeah, when we start getting older, I'm 54, so I can. I got got a bad knee and no ACL and tore up all my my stuff, and my back's broken in three spots, so I understand we we get older, you can't do what we did when we were younger.
1: I've had 12 surgeries. I've had double knee surgery, back surgery, liver surgery, pectoral surgery, rotator cuff surgery. Um, Gosh, I've had... Both my triceps, I hit a concrete wall, had surgery, so yeah, I'm done competing. I still left, I just can't go as heavy.
0: So now you just like to cook and eat. So
1: Yeah, I've always cooked and eat. I mean, I've always I've been cooking since I'm 17 years old. I didn't start I didn't get to this level until probably about twenty-five years ago. I started really taking off because I got really involved in science like, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, McGee, Uh, The Science of Food. I just read that entire book, fell in love with the science of food, and and which kind of got me started on experimentation, actually. Uh, I just love food. I like creating food.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm like a big Alton Brown fan, too, and just Oh, love all I, I love the, you know, reasons why things and yes, Meat, yes Meathead, exactly. too. that's why I like to follow Meathead. I had Meathead on a couple of weeks ago and I I, I heard
1: that podcast. I, I, that I, could, I, I could
0: talk to him for hours on end because, yes. you know, it's it's gotta be logical, especially in barbecue yes. barbecue, you know, there's a lot of that traditional, you know, oh, you yes. gotta use mustard, you know, on your pork belly or bar. Well, it's like, no, you don't, but you know, no you, <laughs>
1: you know. I mean, I think in Texas all they use, for example, their brisket, salt and pepper. That's it.
0: Yeah. And you know, that's more of a style. That's not, you know. It is. You know, you know, you don't have to just do that, but people do, nope, not, not at all. you know. Like I tell people all the time is there's a million ways to cook a million different things and it's not just one way I can cook a brisket. You know, people ask me all the time, you know, why, why would you use sous vide, you know, for brisket, you know, barbecue brisket. It's like, because I can make a barbecue brisket
1: medium rare, you know, can, yes. you can't do
0: that on a smoker by itself. So
1: and what's also really cool. I've done uh, uh, multiple briskets, the old fashioned way on my charcoal Weber Smoky Mountain, which is customized by the way, you know, and I've done those for 16 to 17 hours, you know, it's to the charcoal, of course, you know, and, and, or the sous vide where I went to bed. Right.
0: And I, yeah. I, and I tell people it doesn't replace one cooking method. doesn't replace no. another. I mean, it's just a different way to do something and, and the, there's benefits to it. So let's talk about the blog. When did you start? So you've always been Ooh. cooking since 17. Yeah. So let's start talking yeah. about the
1: blog. So, uh, It was the early 90s, and like I said, I was really getting, I was in my 20s and just really loving food and cooking. And I found myself uh, wanting to recreate some of my recipes that people really enjoyed. So I started writing a food journal, just writing stuff down. And it was basically for me to kind of like, kind of like refresh my memory, jog my memory. uh, And then I'm like, crap, you know, computers are getting really good and google started coming out with uh, their google blog so well, maybe actually just do it online that we we'll always have access to it. so i started writing a google blog but it wasn't a blog it was a food journal it was for me just to take notes there was no photographs there were there's no recipes there's just basically you know little points like little points out to a sentence you know and and um uh, this is what i did this is how i did it there was no uh list of ingredients maybe um, so my friends were asking hey Lloyd uh, can I have your recipe yes yeah, it's it's on Google I'll send you a link and they're like well what the hell is this I said well this is my notes well they started asking me all these questions like i didn't well maybe I should really give some details on my food journal and then from the food journal it went to an actual blog where I started writing down recipes and um, taking photographs and and I'd have people that actually don't know how to cook, read them, and, and I'd ask them, do you understand it? Uh, and the, if the answer was no, I'd go back and rewrite it so the average person could actually replicate what I was doing. Yeah. So it just took off from there.
0: That's that's uh, great because you started your blog, you know, for yourself to – yeah. take notes but it kind of blossomed into helping others which yes, exactly. kind of the same thing i did i mean I, I i did it to you know hey i know what it was like when i was first getting into you know Sue Ved and stuff and i, I you know I'd, I'd like to be able to help new people as well and of course i think that's a better feeling when you when you can help people learn and, and learn together you know I'm, I, I always you know tell people like, i'm always learning i don't know everything and i never i never tell anybody i know everything or that i'm an expert because i'm constantly like you experimenting and trying new things and learning new stuff and listening to other ideas you know so
1: uh i get a lot out of people um people ask me if they can share my recipe i'm like yes please do that if i can bring a smile to someone's face if they can replicate something i did i think uh what was the expression uh uh imitation is the greatest uh um a, it's i forgot the exact metaphor but basically you know, when people try to replicate what you've done i think that's a huge compliment oh, i love sharing
0: yeah definitely and you do Firing. you do a lot of stuff or you do a lot of not just cv but i mean i've seen you do, do you know you, you do a lot of you know dry aging experiments yes. and you know faux dry aging and yep. all kinds of stuff right.
1: and uh, there's nothing i have never done with, with food nothing
0: well but there is one thing because you are the kosher dosher. So, right. (laughs) So you, right. right. So how hard is it to keep all, all that kosher?
1: That's a great question. So first I'll give you some background on the word kosher dosher. Okay. So I grew up in New York city and, and I don't know the origins, but when I was growing up and someone asked how you doing, you say, Hey, everything's kosher dosher. So kosher means proper or fit. Okay, that's the actual Hebrew word. And uh, I didn't start keeping kosher until about 20 years ago. Uh, my father's father was Sicilian. Uh, both my parents were Jewish, but my, my, my grandfather was Italian. So I grew up in uh, basically like a melting pot. I ate a lot of pork. I mean, I'm telling you, I ate a lot of pork. I've eaten shellfish before. And about 20 years ago, I changed the way I ate for religious reasons. And uh, I won't get into the actual um, uh, cooking laws, which are basically Kashrut. Those are actually the dietary laws. In Judaism is called Kashrut. That's complicated. That's a whole different conversation. But within Judaism, there's different sects, basically, right? And everybody has their own way of keeping kosher. Mine is very simple. I'll keep it simple for your audience. I don't eat any pork. I don't eat any shellfish. So, back to your question, it actually started me, um, it it forced me to be more creative, because I grew up eating a lot of pork. We're talking pancetta, prosciutto, um, we're talking everything, every kind of cured meat, you can imagine, gabagol, you know, the different sauces, the the Italian food, the guinea clam sauce, all that stuff. So, it kind of forced me to to do my own version of those same things. So, for example, you know, um, how do I make my own pancetta? And I'm, I'm assuming you know what pancetta is and so is your audience. So, I started. I made veal cheddar. I started making my own veal cheddar using a veal belly, basically, the entire side of the animal, and turned it into a pancetta. Did the same thing with duck, same thing with beef. Um... I was forced to create my own kosher um, food. So I took all the traditional pork recipes, you know, gabagol, pancetta, prosciutto, etc., and sausages and salamis, and I used kosher meat to replicate those things. Yeah. And, uh,
0: so it, it can be done. It, and like I said, that kind of drives yes. your creative, you know, your, your cre- creativity
1: and yeah, your
0: experimentation as well. And, uh, you can, yes, that, I, you can see that when I, when I read one of your blogs and, and when you do something, you, you take really detailed step-by-step notes and yes. pictures and because
1: my goal is for someone else to replicate what I did. And
0: I think that's why I do the YouTube channel. I don't want to have to <laughs> take 42 <laughs> pictures and, and write out, like, step by step like that. Oh, I
1: love that. That's the best part. Uh, but what you, are, what you do on YouTube, I couldn't do. So, um, But me writing and taking photographs and, and those details, I love the details. I love the math. I love math. I love... Um, coming up with a recipe and then using math to be able to replicate that with percentages, you know? um, But the the kosher thing forced me to be even more creative to replicate those dishes that I grew up on. So I actually created, for example, it's kind of a, a, it's an oxymoron, but I call it the Rebbe's ham. The Rebbe is like the head rabbi, right? And I actually used duck. I actually made, I took duck and I made it taste like ham.
0: That's amazing.
1: Since yeah, since I've eaten ham before, I know what it tastes like. I know what the texture is like. I was able to replicate um, ham using duck. Wow. It, it's, 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 I love this stuff. I mean, I just love everything about it. That's amazing. <laughs> so, what? Yeah, this is fun. This is fun. So,
0: where do you get your, uh, where do you get your, um, creativity from now i mean you've kind of done a lot i mean do you still try try new things you're still looking for. Well,
1: it's kind of funny but uh most guys dream of sex when they're sleeping <laughs> i dream of food seriously i i just dream of, of food I, I love food that much but what will happen is what will actually um be the catalyst for for me coming up with something new is i'll see something on tv And I'll say, well, I could do that, but I could do something better. So, for example, uh, I think it was Kevin Liddell Holmes sent me a link, and and he's uh, in your group too, and several other ones. He sent me a link, to I think it was uh, Tasty or Yumly, and they took a chicken breast, they sliced it down the middle, and they put in ham and uh, Swiss cheese, and they made Cordon Bleu. Okay? I said, well, wow, that's an interesting way of doing it. Most people, you, you pound it out, you roll it up, or you slice it in the middle, you butterfly it. I decided that I was going to do it with chicken thighs, and I was going to make a chicken cordon bleu uh, corn dog. And I just did it last night, and I'm going to post it on your on your website here, or rather, in your group later on this week. And I took basically chicken thighs. I had a schmaltz and gribbons, which is, is, is uh, the cracklings after you render the fat off the chicken skin, and I made a paste from the chicken thighs and all kinds of things. So I used uh, transglutamines. You know what that is, by chance? Meat glue, yes. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, uh, Meat glue, right. And I made a corn dog. I stuffed it with, um, with I used a, a turkey, honey-cured turkey, Swiss cheese, and Havarti. rolled it up. I let it um, age overnight. The, the enzyme, transglutamines, bonded the proteins, I sous vide that. Uh, it's this, this a huge process. And then um, I deep-fried it in, in, in batter. And it was amazing. <laughs> so seeing someone else do something, it kind of uh, jolt something in my head. also, uh, when I come across food groups and someone asks a question or someone comes across as, this is the only way to do something, I'm like, well, wait, well, that's not true. And then I'll think about it and I'll write something up on it or Contrast several different things, and just I guess my juice is flowing.
0: Yeah, I'm the same way. I like to um, watch a lot of the cooking shows or those. Oh, yeah, you know that stuff, and, and and see these things, and then you go, hey, you know what? I could probably make that, but I'd put my own little twist on it. You know, or exactly, I'm not. No. I'm not one that likes to follow. You know, cookbook recipes to the T. No, no, you know, I like to yeah. kind of play around with them and and put them to my taste. So.
1: Exactly. You know, I saw a dish uh, where they used chorizo, you know, and chorizo is pork. It's pork. It's, it's, it's Mexican, basically, sausage. I said, well, guess what? I'll make my own. And I used, I made my own uh, using uh, all beef. Yeah, it's just, you, you see something you want to make, and, and you're like, well, I, I could do that. I could do something better than that. And, and you just do it. This is fun. I love this stuff.
0: Yeah, and uh, like I said, you don't know what you like until you play around with stuff. You know, exactly. You know, I, I can taste something in a restaurant. And go, yeah, I like this, okay. But then you can always always go, hey, I can, but I can tweak it a little bit and probably exactly uh, make it more to my yeah, taste. You, gotta,
1: you know, um, exactly. Like I like. I grew up eating pasta carbonara. Right, love pasta carbonara, and, and today um, people make it with bacon, uh, but one of the original versions was using pancetta. You know, or, or guanciale. So you can make a pasta carbonara with guanciale, which are the, the, the jowls of the pig, right? Or pancetta, which is the belly of the pig. So I, I want to make that. So I made a, a duck version of the pancetta. I've also taken beef cheeks. It took me six months to make this. But I've actually taken beef cheeks and made my own guanciale just so I can make Pasta carbonara <laughs> took me six months, but I was able to make pasta carbonara with either duck cheddar or uh beef Charlie, Awesome, yeah, it's love the stuff. So, what are your favorite foods to play around with? To be honest with you, this may sound uh, arrogant, but everything there is not one thing I like over the other. I love it all for month to month. I'll go from asian to german to cured meats to making homemade bacons to breads um to sous vide to to barbecuing to grilling to using a lot of meat glue, uh just to making different salamis and sausages um i love it all i, I i've made sushi before i've gotten to sushi making so i can make sushi um I love it all. There's not one thing I like over the other. Yeah. I, as, long as, as long as it's creative.
0: I, I'm, I'm the same way. I like going to, like when we go on vacation, we went up to uh, the city, you know, uh, this last couple of months ago, yeah. we went up there. And I love going there because there's so many different styles and kinds of food. Yes. And you yes. you can eat pizza every single day, you know, for every meal of the day, right. different pizza every time, but you can also get, you know, great. Different kinds of Asian food, absolutely. different kinds of, yes, you know, yes. you go to the kosher delis and, and get some great, you know, yes. stuff there. And there's just well, so many different kinds of food that you can get just
1: on the same street corner, you know? Oh, absolutely. Like I grew up in Brooklyn in New York, but my buddy, my grandmother lived in New York city across the street from Cats deli. And you might be familiar with Cats deli. It's very famous. Yeah, We went there. Uh,
0: we go there. All okay. There.
1: You've been there. I see you there every, every week or two. I mean, I was there all the time, so I grew up on a lot of deli food, so since I can't buy it out here, I live in Salem, Washington, I make my own, but like you, on vacation, for me, it's not really the sights, or like, I go to Vegas occasionally with my wife or my friends, and uh, I'm not a drinker, I'm not a party, I don't gamble, I go for the food. Right,
0: yeah, that's me too. Restaurants. My son's like that too, it was like his whole thing when we were planning the New York trip because it was for his graduation we kind of let him take yeah. and he, he, you know we we had been up there a couple years ago and he said I want to go back to New York City and I want to oh yeah you know, here's what I want to do he wanted to go to you know Peter Luger he wanted to go Oh,
1: oh <laughs> to-, have you been to Peter Luger? Have you been to Peter Luger? Oh yeah we went for his uh okay. one of his dinner. Did you go to Brooklyn or Queens? Which one did you go to? Brooklyn. Oh, the original! So you walk in the hardwood floors; there's still sawdust on there. Oh
0: yeah, had to to wait, you know, for yeah, thirty five minutes and
1: And the cash or American Express. That's it. Well,
0: yeah, that was it. But uh, it was uh, it was an experience for sure. But yeah, that's that's the the thing. There's so many different different you know places there to eat. Yes, and uh,
1: that's the greatest thing in the world. I still like the hot dogs on the street, the Sobret's hot dogs. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah we, oh, we, we got those for lunch one day. We had pizza, you know, 18 different kinds, you know, different yeah. ways. And then, you know. Of course. Um, we just, every every place we went was, you know, like I said, we just, what do we want to eat today, you know?
1: Yes, 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 yes. What's really cool about New York City, and what I miss is that if you want a particular food, you have 12 to choose from. So, for example, if you want an Indian food, we got probably two dozen different great Indian restaurants to go to. Where in Seattle, I might have three, you know, or if we're in New York City, you can go each little uh, restaurant has their own take on what the food is supposed to taste like. And that's what makes it actually, for me, more enjoyable.
0: Well, yeah, even with pizza, I mean, we'd go to, you oh. know, one pizza spot that's a, you know, totally, you know, Napoleon pizza, yep. and that's, you go to the next one, and it's total New York style, and then, you know, which yes. is totally different, and then you can go and get Sicilian, yeah. and then you can go get...
1: Yeah, for me growing up in Brooklyn, you know, we had uh, Frank's, we had Charlie's, we had Peter's, and all, at least within, i say, five miles of the house, you know, and each one was slightly different, and that's what was really cool about
0: it yeah and in, yeah we also we go to you know chinatown
1: and you go get the oh. soup dumplings and stuff that you can oh, get anywhere yes. else you know yes yes and it's all and I, I don't i don't use the word authentic as much as the people are actually making it this is what they grew up on and that's what they're replicating for you right you know just love the stuff
0: so that that's what drives me to. i'm not i don't i like barbecue and then you know like i, I kind of use it with uh, what I do to show people, because that's what like people like to cook at home a lot. You know, and, yes, absolutely, you know, it's really popular. But I like any kind of food. I mean, I'm the same yes. way. I'll try anything. Now, my wife, on the other hand, she's a little bit more dogmatic as far as that goes. With the,
1: <laughs> but she, I'm lucky. She, my wife, will try anything. Yeah, mine won't.
0: But uh, <laughs> she, she <laughs> likes what she likes. You know. But then again, she'll go and, and try. You know, and try to try to try to do some stuff, but.
1: my wife's amazing she she'll try anything our first date was in 88 and i think that was more of an interview for me i took her to a restaurant i wanted to see what she was going to order uh and i'll I'll tell you man if she didn't like onions and garlic it was like it's gonna be like one date and only one date she had to like food you know my my wife was pretty open to uh, uh everything i got i got real lucky there there's nothing she's ever tried with me so i'm lucky there oh, that's good
0: well we're going to take a little break here and then i'll be back and we'll talk a little bit more with we'll be right back hey all i want to welcome again inkbird is our sponsor for the fire and water cooking podcast inkbird has more than just barbecue thermometers and instant read thermometers that i've talked about before inkbird just came out with a wi-fi sous vide circulator that i've been using for a few weeks now that works pretty good has over 1000 watts of power has a app that has many times and temps for meats and vegetables also has onboard times and temps for meats and vegetables runs really quiet fits most regular sous vide containers that are the size of the anovas so check it out look below there's a link with a code for 30 percent off of the amazon price makes it under sixty dollars right now. So check out the Inkbird Wi-Fi sous vide circulator in the description below. Back to our program. All right. We're back with Lloyd from the Kosher Dosher. And let's talk about the experiments a little bit more because yeah, sure. those those seem to be one of the bigger things on your um, on your blog when you yes. when you do these uh, different kinds of experiments. Let's let's talk about some of the ones of your favorite that you've done in the past or that you've got planned
1: um well I'm, I'm glad you brought that up i've got probably 30 or 40 experiments on my site so one of the, the biggest ones for me was the two-stage cooking where um and i didn't come up with this i mean we're talking like modern cuisine we're talking the uh, douglas baldwin Going to eGullet, reviewing, reading, and stuff like that. And I think it's in, um, in Modern Cuisine uh, 2011 edition, I think there's only one edition, where they talked about basically cooking food at a lower temperature activate the enzymes that are responsible for basically uh, dry aging. It doesn't replace it, but those enzymes are uh, created faster at the lower temperatures. You know, and and I find that fascinating. And I did—I've done a a lot of work on that. So people say, "What's the benefit?" And and, and I'll I'll keep it short, keep it simple. You know, I can take a tri-tip, right? And I can um, use two-stage cooking method. Warm aging is the uh, word they use often to describe the process. And I'll I'll choose one thirteen, and I'll cook it for two to three hours at one thirteen raise it to 133, cook it for nine hours, okay? Well, you get the same results if you use 133 and you cooked it for, let's say, 12 to 15 hours, and you get the same exact texture. But the difference is if you use the warm aging technique with the lower temperature, you actually have less purge in the bag, less moisture loss with the same textual results, So, yes, you could do it the regular way, 133 for 12 to 15 hours or my way, get the same product, but you'll have more moisture using the lower temperature. And I I find that fascinating and wonderful to do. Yeah,
0: and I think that's one of the things that people can't wrap their head around when they first start looking at sous vide is, you know, because I get it all the time, especially from the barbecue guys. It's like, well. Boy, you know, because well what's the benefit of cooking it at a hundred and you know, fifty degrees instead of two mm-hmm. two fifty, you know, for you know, eight, twelve hours. And you know, it's like, well, because the hotter you cook it, you know, the right. more moisture is gonna
1: leave. And especially if you right. the muscles squeeze out, they squeeze out, they get tense and they sort of forcing out the uh, right. uh, uh moisture.
0: And you're also cooking in a, in an air chamber, so you're losing all that moisture out yep. out into the air you and are. they're not gonna get it back. You know, one of the things I tell people with pulled pork, especially, is at least I'm capturing all that moisture.
1: Absolutely. And when I'm done pulling it, I
0: can put it right back into the pork,
1: you know. Oh, I know. That's amazing, isn't it? So one of my my most fun experiments, most fun, was I did a whole turkey sous vide tutorial. And I'll post it on your your group, too. So that was really fun to do because, um, one, I've never done it before it's been done in the past and i won't name who did it uh but they did a really bad job so i saw a very popular um not a group it's a very popular website i'll I'll put it that way to you Uh, they did one a whole turkey sous vide and they did a bad job in my opinion they created an environment for a lot of pathogens to grow okay and i was just I was somewhat disgusted by what I saw because these are actual professionals, okay? And then I saw a very popular YouTube uh, fan favorite. Uh, uh, I won't call them a group, but they're... Uh, you can uh, say sous vide everything. You can say it. Sous vide everything. Oh, okay, I didn't want to say it. You know, um, they did a whole turkey sous vide, and I want to say they did it, I think, at, uh, they did a 20-pound turkey that was stuffed with sausage. I think they did it at, I want to say, 170 or 180 for 24 hours. You know, it came out horrible. Now, we know that you cannot... Sous-y a whole turkey, okay, or, or any meat that has the diameter of like you know fifteen inches, the inside will never get cooked. And if it does, it's probably filled with pathogens because it was in the danger zone probably for 15 hours before it came up the temperature. And they said it was a fail. Well, no kidding it was a fail, right? And and you got people trying to replicate this. So I decided, you know something? Not only can I do it, but I can do this and make it and do it safely. It came out flawlessly, which I did. And I won't go into all the details here, but I was able to do a whole turkey sous vide. And it was about aesthetics, being able to serve a whole turkey that was sous vide. And it was more poached than sous vide, to be honest with you. But the temperature was very controlled. It was very precise. I was able to destroy all the pathogens, and, and it was flawlessly done. And that that was a success. I, I just loved doing that. That was so much fun.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of times, you know, and I've watched, you know, sous vide, everything they're, they're one of my inspirations as well. Cause they, you know, when I, when I first started playing around with it, they were like one of the only ones that were actually doing sous vide on YouTube. Right. So, um, and I like some of the stuff that they do, do some experiments, but a lot of times they do, they kind of take away the, they don't understand the the basic concepts of sous vide sometimes I think, especially in their earlier videos. Yes. So they, I they agree. were just kind of shooting and missing, which I see a lot of people doing. It's like, you got to understand the whole concept of what you're doing first. And
1: yeah, in addition to not understanding some of the concepts, I thought their, their take on what is or was not an experiment was um, off. I don't think they understood actually what an experiment is. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, I remember that they did a searing um, experiment where they were contrasting the Serizal versus, I think, um, a skillet and a grill, okay? And they found that using the Serizal, who sponsors them, was the best way of doing it because they using the skillet and also the grill, it overcooked the meat. Well... Because they had bad technique. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's the reason why it overcooked the meat. You take a, a, a piece of meat that's been sous vide, it's been cooked at its optimum temperature. You put it into a screaming skillet. Of course, the inside is going to heat up. So the gradient, you're going to get this huge gradient from the outside to the very, very center. But had they taken that same piece of meat, ducked it in cold water for a few minutes, right, they could have mitigated the overcooking. So it wasn't a real experiment. I mean it wasn't a real experiment. So I was kind of disappointed. I'm disappointed in a lot of things they do, but I like their voices. I like the editing.
0: Yeah. And sometimes, you know, I, I do experiments too, that sometimes I go, Hey, eh, you know, why am I even doing this? But at least, yeah. at least I try, you know, like if I do a searing experiment, I'm seeing the, not just how it looks on the inside, but how, how mm-hmm. it works overall. Like, you know, the sears all, I, I, I use that thing three right. times. And I hate it. I
1: throw it away because, Oh, I love the cereal all far, Darren. <laughs> you know what it's great for? What's nachos. Yeah. Great for freaking nachos. Let me tell you something. You got a big plate. Like, I've taken actual, um, like, 18 by 20 inch freaking, uh, um, um, not bowls, but big plates, you know. And I've poured on the nachos and the cheese and take my cereal out. I melt all the cheese. It's great.
0: Yeah. For that, it's for like searing a steak or a roast. I mean, it takes forever. I mean, oh, I mean I won't do there's that. better, there's
1: better things to do, to oh. use, you know. Well, you know, I'll tell you where I like the sears all for, for example. So for example, um, I know you're familiar with mechanically tenderized meat, correct? Like a Jacquard.
0: Yeah. Cause I, I just, uh, oh. yeah, I just, uh, I'm actually doing a, a video on, um, taking a top Sirloin from Costco because okay. I, I buy a lot of Costco meat, but I don't buy their pre-cut steaks because they're they're blade tender. Right,
1: or all back right? Well, I actually wrote an article, and I'll send it to you. I call sous vide and jacardi mechanical tenderization, and, and one of the things that people have to realize is that if you mechanically tenderize pieces of meat, okay, you're forcing the surface pathogens into the center of the meat, so you're you are taking some risk. But one way to mitigate that is I take a searzall. Okay, so if I plan on not to, if I plan on using uh, a jacquard and I don't plan on pasteurizing, I will pasteurize the surface first before using the jacquard. So I take the serizol, right? I, I get the meat really, really, really cold. I basically torch the outside. I kill all the surface pathogens. And then I use the mechanical tenderization method.
0: Well, that. So yeah, that, that way, yeah, you don't have to worry about uh, getting it. No. In fact, you're doing it yourself, so, uh, yeah.
1: I'm doing everything yeah, myself. That right. way,
0: I don't have a problem with it. It's, you know, like I said, with Costco, you don't know what how, how they – No, if, you, you don't.
1: In fact, have you read the fine label, the the Costco's label? Yeah. It, it says cookie 160.
0: Well, I think a lot of them now say, like, 180. <laughs> so,
1: oh, my God. Uh, they're, try- they're trying to kill you. Yeah. Well, you know, and
0: the reason they do that is because they don't uh, wet wet age their meat at all.
1: You are correct. In fact, I was talking to a guy who's a distributor, and he said what they normally do is and and it's hit and miss. You know, they they kill the animal, you hang it, you're supposed to age it for like thirty days. They would break it down and put it in the bags, right? Well, with Costco, sometimes you know it can be three to two weeks, three days to two weeks before it actually hits the shelf. So you can buy something that's prime. It tastes like crap. There's no taste. There's no flavor. It's not tender because they're probably, the animals was killed three days earlier. So it's really hit and miss on Costco meat. Really hit and miss. I'm yeah. in the
0: process of doing a video that I, I took a top sirloin and just let it sit in my refrigerator for, you know, two weeks and uh, yeah. took it out and then cut it up. You know, and it's just a wet age it. just to, you know, Hey, yeah, it's not dry aging, but it's, you know, me taking that it's actually cheaper. I can cut the steaks as thick or as thin as I want to, you know, it's, I have a lot more control over it than just buying. I don't have to worry about the, you know, blade tenderization that Costco does and what, what they decide to cut them at or anything. So
1: you're in total control.
0: So, all right. So let's talk about sous vide. So we talked about how you got started in it. So, yeah. So you've done a lot more experiments and like the, one you talked about where it was the, uh, the the uh, warm aging types. Yeah. What else do you like to, mm-hmm. to cook sous vide?
1: I cook everything sous vide from turkey, steaks, meats. Um, I've done it all sous vide. So one of the things I like doing, and this is normally around Thanksgiving, uh, people always, not, not always, but the turkey breast, right? People always overcook the white meat and turkey. So what I do um Is I will um, take off the the breast, the, the skin off the breast of the entire turkey. I will take the turkey breast. I'll take the tenderloins out. Okay. I'll inject the breasts with butter. I'll invert the breasts on each other, and I'll use meat glue, and I wrap everything in the turkey skin. Okay. And I'll make basically a cylinder, and I will sous vide that. And again, always flawless results. The diameter is the same. It's, it's, it's perfect. Um, but fish, I love sous vide fish. You know, small little window there. I like about 150 degrees for salmon, for example. Um, always get consistent results, precision. You can tell somebody who doesn't know how to cook that wants to replicate something you've done Give them the recipe, tell them the temperature, take it out at this time, and they've just made something amazing. So, I'll sous vide everything. Ribs, oh my gosh, what you can do with ribs, uh, short ribs, uh, beef back ribs, um, everything. It's just amazing.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's certain things that I don't, but I mean, there's... Once people understand what sous vide does, I mean, that's the, the biggest issue I have. And one of the things I love to show people is not, you know, there's too many people think that sous vide is good for steaks or just chicken breasts and pork chops, right. you know, or they treat it like an InstaPod or a George Foreman grill. It's just another, you know, utensil I have in my kitchen, but it's, it's not, it's a method that can be used for so many different things.
1: And it, well, it does so much. A good example is like a chuck roast. Most people will take a chuck roast, right? And they'll um, throw it uh, in their pot and they'll braise it for like six or seven hours. And all they've done basically is melted all the gelatin off the meat. They broke it down, it's overdone. And, and if they went too far, it becomes dry. Where with the chuck roast, you know, I happen to like 136 degrees between 36 and 40 hours. And I'm able to get a piece of meat that comes out uh, relatively uh, medium rare. And it's tender, it's flavorful, it didn't lose a lot of moisture, and it's just an amazing piece of meat. You know, it's a cheap piece of meat, too. Yeah, I
0: agree. That's one of the the things that really Chuck. got me, you know, started was chucking, and even top round. Top round.
1: Yeah, yes. My oh, wife yeah. loves
0: that. But she's not a big, she doesn't like fat. She won't eat ribeye, you know, she just... Doesn't.
1: Okay, well, I love ribeye. Me oh, too, gosh.
0: I mean, that's, but she, she's oh. for some reason, she's more like a filet person, and then... For okay. me to be able to take a top round and turn it into a filet when I'm only paying you know yes. 99 a pound.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, that's, oh my God. That's our
0: favorite thing that I oh. sous vide is top round.
1: And I, I think sous vide was created, uh, I, I can be wrong, but originally for taking inexpensive cuts and, and making them taste like filet where they become very, very tender and flavorful. Because when you get some of the Chuck's got a lot of flavor, uh, Ribeye has a lot of flavor, Filets have no flavor, but they're tender. And Suvi uh, incorporates the best of both worlds where you get a piece of meat that is very flavorful but also very tender it just changes it changes how we cut yeah,
0: and you don't have to worry about cutting it really thin or you know against hand, no, not so, at all. you know all that stuff that you normally would have to do by cooking
1: it traditionally right. and you know well look at, at tri tip tri tip you know I love tri tip I'm the tri- tip king I make a lot of tricep. tip if you make tri tip the traditional way um, it's not very tender (laughs) you know even if you go low and slow on a barbecue it's good it's delicious but gosh when you do it sous vide um it's night and day
0: exactly yeah you can you can make things a lot different and like i said it doesn't replace you know if if some of you know, no. It doesn't replace certain, you know, cooking methods, but it does enhance them. Yeah, that's why I like to do, that's why I like to use sous vide with barbecue stuff because it enhances, yeah. it. you know, like I guess I just did some uh, short ribs a couple of weeks ago. I made a medium oh. rare and, uh, you know, people go, oh, but it, does that taste the same as when I cook them to 200? And it's like, no, it doesn't. I said, yeah. but that's a good thing.
1: <laughs> that's a good thing. You know, for my short ribs, you know, I'll do short ribs sous vide like you and I'll do them way in advance, and I'll t- pop them out of the bag, and they have all the the, um, the fat just that, that's basically glued onto the meat now, and I throw them right on my Weber for a couple hours, you know, at, at 200 degrees, and, and I I don't think someone can tell the difference whether I did it low or slow or it came out of the sous because, I mean, they're on my Weber Smoky Mountain for three or four hours, because they're going in on it at 38 degrees, so from 38 degrees up to the the optimum sous vide temperature that I use, um, you just can't tell the difference. They're they're amazing. Yeah. It tastes exactly the same.
0: And they're more moist and, you know. Oh, yes. Sense. I mean, so that's, that's the thing, you know. It's like, uh, yeah, I, I try to explain to people, you know, it, it's not a, you know, a war against different cooking methods. I mean. No, I mean, not if, at all. Know, if I'm you look at it okay. that way, you're, you're really shorting yourself because, you know, if all you think that – you have to cook a brisket, you know, at a 203 or whatever every time. You know, that's the only
1: Well, I know that you ran into it with other people, you know, but you get people that, whether it's sous vide or barbecue, uh, it becomes their religion, and they only see one way to do things. So, for example, on barbecue, and not that I've participated in the discussion, but you got pellet grill versus you know, um, uh, guys that use the offset smoker, you know, where they just use wood or people that just use charcoal and it becomes their religion when they start fighting over it. You know, now that people are using sous vide and barbecue, that's a whole different discussion now. It seems like you people are, they're offended actually, you know, one's not replacing another? It's just that it's, it enhances it.
0: Yeah. And it's that whole Ford versus Chevy mentality. I think. Yeah. Oh, yes, <laughs> you know? yes.
1: Oh, so true. That's,
0: you know, people. Oh, yeah. You can only cook barbecue in an offset, you know, wood smoker. You can't use oh.
1: grill or you know. Well, people use words. For example, that's not authentic. Right. Well, at what time of the year? What time? What century? So, if you want to go back to the original barbecue, you know, it was people using you know over open fire.
0: Right. Or they over open fire. You got to. You dig a pit in the ground and put it in. There.
1: Yeah. <laughs> You dug a freaking pit in the or you ground. Gotta wait, or I you got to wait for
0: lightning to hit a tree. You know.
1: <laughs> oh my God! How far back do you go exactly? Really? You know. Or I saw a smoked salmon. Someone was complaining about someone smoking salmon. I forgot where I was at. Uh, I was reading this, and they were complaining how that's not traditional. I uh, said, so if you go back far enough, you had Indians taking the salmon, gutting them, butterflying, putting them on vertical sticks, right? While well, there's a fire behind it blowing the the smoke into the fish. I mean, how far back do you want to go to call something authentic?
0: Right. Exactly.
1: It's frustrating. Yeah,
0: I know, and that's exactly you just you gotta move on. Some people, you know, will get it, you know, but some won't. But
1: um At the end of the day, does it taste good? At the end of the day, does it taste right. good? It
0: does and literally it opens up options. I mean, I'd rather have options. I wanna I don't wanna just cook you know, one thing, one way, my entire life, I want to be able to, I yeah. want to be able to experiment and try new things and, and, and put my taste buds to the test and, and see what comes out
1: better. You know? So, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, you know, for, for me is I give most of my food away because I do things big. I mean, I'll, I'll make 30, 40, 50 pounds of something. And I just give it away because I like going big and, and bringing a smile to someone else's face. They're eating your food and going, wow, how'd you do this? And they're, and they're smiling. They're enjoying it. They're sharing it with somebody else. They're breaking bread using your food. I, I think that is the greatest joy in the world, at least for me. It is
0: for me, too. I like doing, you know, having groups of people over. And, you know, that's, oh, that's yeah. one of my favorite things. And, you know, it's like, hey, we're going to have 30 or four. I just had uh, 40 college kids over in my house about two oh, weeks ago. And nice. I made, you know, two different kinds of pulled pork and I made moink balls and all kinds of
1: Oh, um, nice.
0: But, you know, I want them to go, hey, I want to go back to Mr. Wilson's house, you know. <laughs>
1: yes, <laughs> Whatever yes. he's having people <laughs> over. Best, best thing in the world. You know, I had a compliment uh, given by my daughter. It was kind of funny. So um, I make duck bacon. I make uh, uh, beef bacon, veal bacon, lamb bacon. And my wife was at Costco, and my daughter, I think, was three or four years old at the time. And she tried one of the samples, and the woman had put bacon inside this potato dish. And my daughter walks away and goes, Hey, Mom, I think they made these potatoes with duck bacon. Well, I was like, what are you talking about? Well, she equated what she was eating with my duck bacon. It actually, yeah. She, she was eating basically pork bacon, accidentally, of course. And she said, Dad, it tastes like your bacon. Well, that's a kind of a, that's a compliment. Because yeah. I, 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 I ate a lot of baking growing up and it was freaking delicious. Right. Now I just, now I just use lamb, bacon, or beef. That's a great compliment. I actually made ribs. It was my daughter's, who was almost 20. It was her third birthday. And I made a bunch of beef back ribs, right? And if you know what you're doing, you can make beef taste like pork. You can, or lamb. And I used all kinds of crazy spices and herbs to kind of replicate the traditional taste of what, how people taste food. And people go, I thought why didn't eat pork. This tastes like pork because it had the texture of basically falling off the bone a um, uh, uh, baby backs. And they weren't used to that. Well, you know, just, really well cool. just
0: don't start making vegetables in the meat like they're doing now because I don't.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm definitely a carnivore. Just, oh, I, I would starve. Oh, my gosh. I'm definitely a meat guy. Oh,
0: and I don't want to make, I don't want to oh. make meat taste like vegetables either. So
1: <laughs> no, not at all. It's like, you know, people try to like, what, what's it called? The, uh, um, we take tofu, like a tofu turkey. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not getting that. So what, what's in yeah. the
0: future for you? You still just uh, got to, you know, keep the. The, the blog going you're going to expand out
1: well well you know i like to expand out a little bit and not for monetary reasons it's just that i want to reach other people other groups um, um my blog is a google blog and i thought about graduating to let's say a wordpress uh blog but um I need to do more research, more reading, and try to understand how to create an actual website. Not the easiest thing to do. Um, My current blog, I've got like 12 to 15 gigs of photographs and information and over 300 posts. And be able to convert that to a WordPress um, website or blog is not the easiest thing to do in the world, you know and um so i'm looking at it and and right now i have no advertisements on my blog because i like keeping it clean i don't want um i don't want the advertisers to to, to distract from the food so uh, i like to expand it'd be fun i would love to do something like that i don't have the skills or the know how to do that well, so. i had i had well, to I'm,
0: self-teach you know when i started doing yeah. youtube and uh, even this i i taught myself how to do it and once you
1: yeah, you're a natural I, i've watched you. you you're a freaking natural oh my gosh uh, there was not much self-teaching there you're some well, natural you didn't watch
0: my first couple of videos <laughs> it takes it's like anything it takes yeah. practice and you know what you, you, you know you if you really love it and you have passion you know what you do it, it makes it a lot easier yeah. as well so and i'm sure when you first started doing your blog it you know it was a oh. pain in the butt for you for a while
1: you're right. I go back and, and, and read what I had written and go, wow, that's like third grade. I could have done a better job. <laughs> I'm not communicating very well. And, and now I've done a lot, a lot better, of course. Well,
0: And it's just like, you know, I, I, I talked about with Malcolm Reed, who is a big barbecue guy. He started out yeah. you know, nine, nine or 10 years ago with YouTube. And, you know, we talked about him looking back at his, some of his earlier YouTube videos. And it's like, he, he, he can't even watch them. And, you know, cause he's so smart, oh. you know, over nine, nine, 10 years, well, you got it down, you know? So
1: the original guy on TV was Emeril Lagasse. Okay. Remember Emeril Lagasse? Oh, I love, yeah. you know, love Emeril. Well, I saw some of his earlier, um, uh, videos, you know, uh, on food network. And it might not have been food network. It might've been someone else. And, and oh my gosh, night and day. Looking down at the counter, not looking at the camera, talking very, very monotone, no excitement, no body language. And it seemed in those old videos to the Food Network where BAM, everything's bam, bam. You know, night and day was just so much fun and like you said, you gotta grow. If you like what you're doing, you gotta grow into what you wanna become.
0: Exactly. And once you get more comfortable, you get you get better at it. So Oh I and, bet and uh I bet. All right, so I think that was great, Lloyd, and say your last oh, name one well, more time you. because I don't want to mess up. Uh-huh.
1: So it's Lloyd A. Anthony Capiccio. Capiccio, but it's spelled with an A. Yeah, spelled with an A, and I could not tell you why, <laughs> but it's Coach A you? Coach Adosia blog. I'm going to
0: put a link uh, down in the description below of both yeah. the uh, blog and the, you have a Facebook page as well. So,
1: you i'll make sure i'll send you the links to Darren. that way uh um yeah i'll just send you a link also yeah that's good
0: i'll I'll do that i'll put that in the description below but check it out because he's got a lot of uh really great all different kinds of food experiments but a lot with sous vide a lot with uh, uh curing meats uh Oh, all yes. kinds of different stuff that uh if you're interested in experimenting and playing around with different types of foods and, and seeing what you can do, Lloyd's uh blog is one of the it's a it's a must. And he is very there, very detailed and lots of pictures.
1: Thank you. And if you like ice cream, I've done some crazy freaking ice cream combinations. <laughs> and and Lloyd cream.
0: will be posting up some of his blog posts in the fire and water cooking uh all oh, on Facebook great as well. So
1: I'll be doing that well, thanks too. Thanks for
0: joining me, Lloyd. I appreciate it. And I'll be talking to you soon. I'll probably have you on another time. Uh, That'd be great. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you, All right. thank you for having me on. I really appreciate oh, no problem. it.
0: Problem. Thanks again, guys. I'll talk to you again on the next fire and water cooking podcast. Well, thanks again for joining us on the fire and water cooking podcast. I want to thank Lloyd Capuccio from the kosher dosher blog for joining us. Make sure you check out his blog listed in the description below. Make sure you check out Inkbird products, also listed below. Check out the Fire and Water Cooking channel on YouTube, Fire and Water Cooking on Facebook. We have a page and a group. Follow us on Instagram and join us again at the next Fire and Water Cooking podcast. See you next time.